leadership has always been challenging, but today the pressures and unrelenting changes are greater than ever before. Leaders must manage an increasingly complex work environment made up of both remote and hybrid teams. To add to that, many team members are facing economic health and family care demands. So leaders have to be even more flexible and creative in order to be effective. We know that energized and engaged people and teams are the lifeblood of every organization. I'm Leanne Rogers, host of Leading Better Teams, and I arm leaders with everything you need to build happy and high-performing teams, all served up with empathy, humor, and a dash of Southern charm. Join me each month as I share the most effective and actionable insights, models, tips, and tools to help you lead better teams. Let's get started. Who do you know who has no fear or anxiety addressing conflict? I don't think I know anyone who has no fear or anxiety addressing conflict. I do know people good at it, but they still have some anxiety, even though it doesn't always show. Welcome to Leading Better Teams. I'm your host, Leanne Rogers, and today we're going to be talking about how to address unspoken issues that happen in teams and in relationships. The reality is that the reason conflict creates anxiety for us is that we are hardwired to protect ourselves. You may have heard a fight, flight, or freeze response to fear. Most of us first freeze when we're in a situation that creates fear or anxiety for us. And then if that doesn't work, we retreat or we back away, right? We flight. And only we only tend to fight if we feel cornered. You know, if we feel like we have no choice, that's when most of us tend to fight. So avoiding and accommodating and compromising are the common behaviors that we have because it feels risky to fight and also time-consuming to collaborate. So a lot of us go with undiscussed and unresolved issues with individuals or with our teams collectively. There was a study done I found really interesting with a bunch of medical students and faculty and administrators, and they all were looking at how they scored on the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument, which is an instrument that measures the different ways that we approach conflict. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But in essence, what happened is all of the students, the faculty, and the administrators scored really high in avoidant, accommodating, and compromising modes, which to me are all very conflict-averse styles. It surprised me. I would have thought that would have been a really assertive group. But I think this is pretty typical of, of a lot of people that I know. We all don't like conflict because it brings risk to us, and we tend to want to avoid it or minimize it as much as we can. So today, what we're going to do is focus on those moments where our teams are collectively conflict-averse, and they are not addressing what we'll call the elephant in the room. And we're also going to focus on those situations where we ourselves might not want to or know how to address an issue with a team. If we don't talk about unspoken issues openly and constructively, it drains us. It drains our energy. It can also damage relationships and trust and create a really unsafe environment. Without that energy, trust, and safety, teams are going to be unproductive and also unhappy. And nothing good comes from that. Plus, if we don't acknowledge or work through issues, they rarely resolve on their own and often fester and grow until they explode. Think about it. Have you ever had someone explode at you over something really small? Or have you ever exploded on someone else over something really small that they did? Well, if you have a pulse 
and you didn't answer yes, please call me because I want to know your secret. Right. I think we've all been guilty of, you know, holding back on things that bothered us and then exploding. And so in this podcast, I'll be talking about how do you address the unspoken issues on the team and get yourself prepared to do this so that you can start off the conversation in the right way to lead to a really productive conversation. I'm a big fan of the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument, the TKI. I mentioned it earlier with a study with the medical students. And this tool assesses the way that we prefer to approach conflict. There are five ways that we approach conflict. And really, truly, we all do all of these. So none of us are boxed into one particular style or mode, but we do have our preferences. And so let me tell you what they are and just think about what you think your style might be. The first one is avoid it. And avoid it, we just typically want to avoid conflict. Pretend it's not there, not address it, just, you know, avoid it, walk away from it. Accommodating is different. Accommodating is where we tend to give in to what the other person wants or needs. We tend to accommodate the other person. So we give up a little bit more and they win a little bit more. And compromising, it's kind of somewhere in between. Compromising is... I give up a little bit and you give up a little bit. It's kind of that meeting in the middle where we kind of find a way that we can say, okay, we can both live with this. We'll both give up a little bit. And then competing is when it's all about, I want to win and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win. And it doesn't matter to me that you lose because I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to work hard for this. I'm going to compete to win this argument or this discussion or whatever it is I'm trying to win. And then the last approach to the TKI is collaborating. And collaborating is all about, it's a true win-win for all the parties involved. Here, it's not like, it's not like compromising. We're compromising as we both gave up a little bit and we won a little bit. And collaborating, we are really both winning. We're coming up with a solution that's bigger and better than maybe what we had started with. And we have worked and resolved to the place that we both think this is the best solution. So collaborating may sound like, oh, well, that's the best one. We should always collaborate. That's not true because true collaboration really takes a lot of time and energy. And not all things need that much time and energy. So each of these different five conflict modes has its own place, its own time when it's the appropriate one. And yet we need to be able to kind of bounce back and forth amongst them to be, to be successful in our communications with the team and figuring out which ones to use when. When I took this assessment about eight years ago, I scored very high in avoiding and accommodating. And yuck, I was truly like unhappy to say that. In fact, do I even want to tell you that now? I was embarrassed to actually score really high in avoiding and accommodating because I like to think of myself as assertive and collaborative. And I didn't score very high on the collaborative. But as I absorbed myself, observed myself over time, I realized It was true a lot of the time. In fact, people tell me all the time, you're so easy to work with, Leanne. And I think that's because I am very accommodating. I like to work with other people and I like to accommodate them when I can. Well, that awareness really shifted things for me over the years. The awareness that I I was really low on conflict and I needed to be more assertive. And so over the years, I've developed a lot of skills to be more assertive And I've become less afraid of conflict throughout the process of doing that. And so now I'm more comfortable being direct and sharing opposing opinions and giving constructive conflict. But I still have a natural bent to avoid conflict unless I think it's something truly important. And I still work hard to accommodate the needs of my clients 
but I'm more balanced than I used to be because I'm aware of that and more conscious of how I choose to show up. I remember working with a team and we had a team member who always showed up 10 minutes late and no one on the team spoke of this issue openly. But it became obvious that our tolerance was waning. We were frustrated with her. The team member's consistent lateness was the elephant in the room that nobody wanted to talk about. Being avoided and accommodating as a team, what do you think we did? Well, she would walk in late and we would smile and welcome her in. We would summarize what she missed and we would carry on as if it was no big deal time after time. Now, how helpful was that to anyone? She had no idea we were this resentful because we didn't tell her. And we all continued to suffer because no one wanted to rock the boat and risk an awkward confrontation. So for almost a year, we ignored this issue and it impacted our team culture negatively. Eventually, she left the team. And that's when we finally had the collective conversation that it was a relief not to have to wait for her to come to the meeting. But all that happened too late. It was too late to do any good because she had left the team and we couldn't address the issue. The good, though, that did come from it for me was it was a lesson learned not to let things go unresolved and that I realized I've got to take ownership for speaking out myself when there's an issue, even with a group, someone's got to be the one to step up and say, hey, we have an elephant in the room. Let's address it. So in this metaphor, an elephant Elephant in the room, it presents an underlying issue or concern. It can be known by one person or lots of people. There's something that's not being addressed. It's either being ignored or avoided or swept under the rug. So imagine that you were in a room with someone and there was a huge pink elephant sitting there and nobody acknowledges it. It's so obviously there and yet everyone is pretending it's not. It's kind of like my old colleague who was always late. We just pretended that it wasn't happening or wasn't a big deal to us, even though it was. If someone were to come to you frustrated by something happening with their team that's not being addressed, what advice would you give them? I'm guessing you would say, well, they should talk about it, right? They should let that person know. They should communicate. And yes, that's correct. But if it were that easy, they would have probably already done it. The reality is, before we can do what we intellectually know we should do, we have to be of the right mindset first. So the first tool I want to give you today with addressing the elephant in the room is to be of the right mindset. Let's first examine the mindset that holds us and likely our teams back. Simply put, we're afraid if we address the issue, there may be negative repercussions. We may suffer. We fear the impact of the discussion might be worse than the frustration we have with the elephant. We believe that suffering with a familiar problem is easier than the uncertainty of a confrontation. We might damage a relationship. We might get a reputation for being difficult to work with. We might create a situation that will be time-consuming to resolve, and it might not ever get resolved. And then we just have this all this time and energy going into something that can't get resolved. So all these fears and concerns run through our mind and put us in a, in a negative state, which is not the right mindset to address a conflict. Because most people are uncomfortable with conflict, we have to start with ourselves. And if we reframe the way we view the situation and acknowledge the benefits of working through the challenges, we're going to be prepared to enter the situation in a more positive light. 
making positive assumptions about the other person or the people is one example of a healthy mindset. Let's assume the best of others. Let's assume they want to work well together. Let's assume they aren't aware of the impact of their behavior. Let's assume that we might be missing some things, that we might have some blind spots. Let's assume that it's possible to have a direct, positive, constructive discussion about the elephant. If you don't believe those things, you are likely to enter the conversation in a negative mindset. You'll enter as a victim. You might be resentful, you might be angry, you might be defensive. And how many conversations have you had in your life that you entered feeling resentful, angry, or defensive that ended well? I know I haven't had any. Unless the other person has extremely high emotional intelligence and is able to diffuse you, chances are if you go in that way, it's a recipe for disaster. So the first step in addressing the elephant in the room is to be sure you are in the right mindset. For me, that means, one, being calm and collected, not agitated. I know I'm calm and collected when my mind isn't racing, when I, you know, I don't have a million thoughts going through my mind and I feel physically calm. Two, when I'm clear on my intent and my goal, when I want and I'm clear on the win-win outcome that I want that I want to work through it with the other person to resolve it and walk out at the end so that we still like each other. I always want to preserve the relationship. Three, I want to be empathetic with that person. I want to go into it thinking about what do I think it's like from their perspective? If I were to put myself in their shoes, what might they be thinking or feeling about the situation? And the fourth one is I want to go in with the mindset of being curious and open-minded to what I might learn, to what I might discover about that other person or the other people, other perspectives, other thoughts. I've got to go in open to learning and figuring out things from a different perspective that I'm going into that, that conversation with. So we've got to get ourselves in the right mindset first. If we're not, it's probably not going to go anywhere but downhill. Once we're there and we have the mindset right, step two is we've got to choose our timing and approach wisely. So you've got to think about not just your own mindset, because you might be in the right mindset and the timing might be really good for you, but you've got to think about the others in the conversation too. Because if you're calm and collected and open-minded, but they're not, they're agitated or they're stressed or it's a really bad timing for them, it's not fair to them. So we want to do this or have these conversations when everyone is in the right state of mind. So the timing is important. And the first thing we've got to do is decide here Is it better to do this as a one-on-one conversation or is it a team conversation? Or maybe it's both. Maybe it's some combination of a one-on-one and then a team conversation. Or maybe it's a team conversation and then a one-on-one conversation. But when in doubt, start with a one-on-one conversation because we want to build trust to these situations and not damage it. And so it can feel safer for people to to do this often in a one-on-one a coaching client of mine named Lewis, that's not his real name, was upset in one of our sessions because his manager expressed frustration over an incomplete report that he had turned in. And the manager confronted him in front of the entire team, which really embarrassed him. 
So it damaged trust with my client, Lewis, and his colleagues as well, because he felt like it labeled him as someone who was sloppy and unreliable. And he felt judged later on by his teammates because of that. Rightly or wrongly, that's how he felt. In this situation, it would have been better as a one-on-one conversation. But the reverse happens too, because many people are more comfortable expressing their concerns to one person rather than with the entire team. So another example, I worked with a leader and she had two employees who struggled because one was very direct and assertive and the other was the opposite. They were indirect and passive. So these employees, let's just call them Jane and Bob, they worked together a lot and they were frustrated with each other. They would each go to their leader to express their concerns about the other. And the leader, with all good intentions, kept trying to be the peacemaker and to fix the problem. But what happened is she got herself in the middle of a situation unnecessarily. And then one day at a meeting where they were all three there together, Bob blew up at Jane when she critiqued his work. The leader realized it was time to address the elephant in the room, which really had nothing to do with the specific critique he had given, but more about the underlying issue of their different communication styles and the fact that they needed to be talking to each other about it directly. Well, after a short break, where they all collected their thoughts and calmed down, she expressed her observations and concerns and asked Jane and Bob to think about this and to work through it. And in time with some coaching, Jane and Bob began to talk to each other and resolve their frustrations without the need to involve their manager. So the important point here to keep in mind is, is this one-on-one or is this a team kind of discussion? And then once you've decided if this is a one-on-one-on-team discussion, choose a time where everyone will be emotionally and intellectually ready to talk about the issue. And the other thing to think about here is just to ask yourself, would you be better served with an objective third party facilitating the conversation? If it's going to be really hard for you to remain objective in a conversation, or you fear that you'll take over too much, having a third party to facilitate it or an external facilitator to facilitate it for you can be really helpful here sometimes. So our emotions don't get in the way of of us trying to really have an objective conversation. So once we're clear on what the issue is, we've got our mindset in the right place, we're ready and we figured out our approach to do it. The third step is to acknowledge and name the elephant. So starting the conversation is usually the most difficult part for people. I know it is for me. This is where we think, oh, if we don't get this right, if we say the wrong thing, we can really like make it worse than it already was. So we've got to choose our words carefully so as not to flame the fire, right? And we've got to be clear and we've got to be direct. So a consultant I know, Wanda Walker, she's with Uniquely Yours Consulting and More LLC, has just a really fun way to talk about and get people talking about the elephant in the room. So when she's working with a team and she feels like there's a topic that the team is skirting, right, that there's an elephant in the room, what she'll do is she'll show up at the next session, assuming it's in person, and she'll walk in with this huge stuffed elephant, She showed me a picture of it. It's like, I don't know, almost two feet by two feet, like a massive elephant with bows that she probably won at a carnival, or it looks like something you would win at a carnival. And she puts this elephant just in a chair, like right at the table, like it's it's a team member, right? 
And she said she just goes on and facilitates the meeting as usual until she gets to the point in the conversation where it's time to talk about the, quote, elephant in the room. And then she'll ask the question, does anyone see the elephant in the room? And of course they do. And then they start to talk about it. And then she facilitate a short discussion with the group about what the elephant might represent and how people feel about it being in the room. And then after that conversation, she'll identify to the group, here's what I think the elephant is for your team. And she'll give them a couple of minutes to reflect on it and to, to tell her, is she right or not? And she said most of the time when she does that, they'll say you're right. And then they can launch into problem solving or discussion on how they can address the elephants and, and keep that project moving. But if, it, if she's not right or it needs to be corrected, you know, she allows them that space and they have that conversation. So I love that she does that. I think it's such a fun and creative way to kind of, in a, with humor, address the elephant in the room. She said if she's in a virtual call, what she'll do is just she'll put that elephant right beside her. You know, like on the video webcam, it picks up her and the elephant right there beside her. And again, on a video call, she doesn't acknowledge it. She simply watches people's reaction to it. So I think that is so fun. Here's something similar or kind of a different way you could do something very similar in a virtual meeting. You could log into the meeting with a second device. So maybe with your phone or with an iPad or a second computer, and you could have that extra person logging in be the elephant and, and you could name it. Maybe it's Ellie the elephant or Alvin. Well, I guess Alvin the elephant. It could be anything. You could name your elephant and either turn the webcam on and have it showing a stuffed animal Again, again, same kind of thing. There you are in the meeting and you're looking up at the screen with everybody's pictures and there's this picture of a stuffed elephant. Or if you don't have a big stuffed elephant, you could put up a background, right? With an elephant in the background, you know, or, or an image of a background. And same type of thing. You could wait until someone asks you about it or you could bring it up and say, what's the elephant in the room? Do you see it? What does that mean? And then open up a conversation. So I love that it's funny. And I love that it's different because you're capturing their attention and in kind of a lighthearted way. And so where you're about to talk about an issue that obviously people have avoided because they see a lot of risk in having that conversation by setting them in the right mindset of kind of having a laugh about it or seeing something kind of clever about it, it kind of it might open up their minds to be more ready to go into that conversation with a really positive mindset. You know, a lot of people are going to find it humorous because it's just so ridiculous. And this way, you're opening potentially challenging conversations with humor and lightness, which can make it a little bit easier. So have fun with it. Maybe you even ask the team to name that their elephant or name your fun stuffed element in the room. These are all kind of fun ways to kind of get a conversation started. And there's another way as well that I often will draw an elephant out in the room, and that's through a team assessment. So oftentimes, if you were to ask a team together, you know, what's working on the team, what's not, they'll tell you some things, but there are going to be some issues or concerns that are sensitive or they're afraid to bring up or they don't know how to word. But if you have a team assessment, they will often put those types of concerns or quote elephants into a team assessment. So I have a team assessment I have built that's the Better Teams Assessment, and it's a tool to help teams discuss what's working and also what they want to improve. And I find that during a debrief meeting of that assessment, you know, everybody gets a copy of the team report and we go through celebrations, you know, what did this, what's working really well on the team? Let's celebrate what's happening and, and what's working and what we want to continue. 
And then we take a look at, okay, what are the opportunities? You know, what did you say about the team? What are the opportunities here for us to improve? And elephants often show up here in the written comments of the assessment. And that provides an easy entrance into a conversation and how to address it. You know, if one person is brave enough to put that elephant in a comment, it's there. And we all see it. And it's, it's the opener. It's the conversation opener. Once I was facilitating a team retreat, and the elephant in the room that came up on the team assessment uh, was that there was one person on the team who was really offending her teammates. This teammate, let's just call her Laverne. She would ask lots of questions about her team members' work when they were presenting ideas to their clients. So imagine this. They're all sitting in a client uh, with a client. They're all meeting with a client, kind of sharing things. And while they're sharing their work or their recommendations to the client or to senior leaders, this team member would start to ask them questions about the work that would feel like she was picking it apart. And she would ask questions that were really good questions but they would often stump the team and make them either look unprepared or unready and it embarrassed them and embarrassed them in front of their clients or these more senior members in the organization. So they got really resentful. They, they felt like she was doing this to, to make them look bad. Well, they were offended by this and this had gone on for a while. It came out in the assessment. And so we were able to start to talk about it because it, it got brought out. And it turns out that they saw her as both aggressive and not a team player. But Laverne was shocked to hear this, shocked. Like, in fact, she, she was moved to tears about this because her intention the entire time was she thought she was being helpful to get these teams to think things through. You know, she was in her mind being just, you know, let's work together and let's solve through these. She never meant to make her team members look bad. And so after her intention was better understood, they were able to request of Laverne, hey, can you ask those questions before we meet with the client or after we meet, but not during the meeting? You know, let's let's go in looking united and then let's solve these type of things behind the scenes. And she agreed. So there was a collective sigh in the room after addressing this elephant, even though it was kind of an intense emotional conversation, they all walked out with a better understanding of what was going on and how they could go forward. And, it, and over time, the trust on that team really went up. It's time for the Better Teams trivia question. So we're talking about elephants here. What's an unusual way that elephants communicate with each other? Did you know that elephants can communicate to each other through vibrations? Elephants have a variety of different ways to communicate. They you know, do trumpet calls, and some sounds are so low that we as humans can't even hear them. They use body language and touch and also sense. But what's fascinating to me is they have something that is called seismic signals, and they can send sounds that create vibrations in the ground, and they actually detect them in their bones. So they can communicate through these signals and seismic sensations in the ground. Fascinating to me. I'll link to the article where I found that if you want to read more about it in the show notes. So we've talked about how you've got to be in the right mindset, about how you can Choose your timing and your approach wisely and consider other people as well. We've talked about how you've got to acknowledge and name the elephant, right? You actually have to call it out. And the next thing you want to do in step four is really establish the intention and ground rules to create a safe environment. 
You want everybody to walk out feeling good about the resolution and also good about the relationships. And so what we want to do here when you're the one to acknowledge it or bring it up is actually name your intention. Have it, know what it is, and then name it. So you might say to a team, you know, I really want us to work more collaboratively together, or I really want us to address the concern that we're having about X, Y, Z, and actually name it, like call it out. My intention is that we can resolve this so that we are all working better together, that we are more satisfied with the work we do. But name your intention up front before you start getting into it so people recognize your intention is for the good of all involved. The other thing you want to do up front when it's a group is is have some sort of ground rules. Now, whether you call them ground rules or team norms, you can call them what you want, but it's like, what are the behaviors that we're going to, we're going to set up for ourselves in this conversation? Because this conversation could be emotional or it could be very challenging for us. So what are the rules of engagement that we want to have? And ideally, the team comes up with these on their own, but it's totally okay to recommend them and see if the team likes them. Some examples of ground rules you might use might be things like ask questions to understand others before responding, right? Because people tend to want to like listen just enough to hear and then respond. And so we want people to really be slowing down and listening to each other to understand. Another ground rule might be assume good intentions. You know, let's assume that everybody here, you know, wants to do good work and wants to work well together. We just are maybe approaching it differently or having different points of views or different styles or different ways of working. And a third ground rule that's just a really common one is be respectful, right? It's okay to disagree. It's okay to share feedback, but let's do so in a respectful way. But taking a little bit of time at the beginning of the conversation to establish the intention, the positive intention, and to create rules around the the way in which you're going to work together really sets the tone for a constructive conversation versus a, hey, we're about to have an awkward moment or an awkward uh, confrontation with each other. So be really clear on these and take the time to do that. And then once you've established your intention and ground rules, it's time to move into step five, which is moving into a series of discussions or moving into the discussion itself. Now, there will be times when it's the elephant in the room is fairly easy to address. Maybe it's not a big elephant. Maybe it hasn't been a big issue, but it just needs to be addressed and you can resolve it really quickly. There will be other times when the issue is big. The elephant is very large. Maybe it's been there for a long time or it's a, it's a real trigger for certain people to bring this up. And so in those cases, we have to be realistic and know that we won't always be able to have a single conversation and resolve it. It may be a series of conversations that we need to have with some space in between. So there's no one single way to do it. But as you move into this discussion, or these conversations, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. So one of the first things you want to do is agree on the problem. Like, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? What is the elephant, right? We want to be sure that we're all talking about the same thing. And then once we agree what the elephant is, do we also all agree that resolution is needed? I mean, is this worthy of a conversation? Does it matter? If it's not a big deal, maybe not. So do we really want to do that? And is this the right time for us to do that? Or do we need to pick a a time later where we have more time or more energy or we're in the right state of mind or we have a moment to gather some information, but we want to choose the right timing? Assuming it's the right timing, 
then we want to, you know, resolve or think through what's really going on here, kind of get to the root issue, the root core issue of what's happening. And then we want to brainstorm solutions and think about how might we resolve this? What are some options that we have? And then we want to move into selecting of those solutions. What's the best way? You know, what do we collectively think this is a solution or solutions we'd like to try? And then really important at the end of that conversation is to agree to some actions. So it's not just talk. It's like, what are we agreeing to do here? What's the action? Who owns that action? And when will that person complete or work on that action? And so walking away with really clear assignments here makes all the difference in the world from a conversation that just a theoretical conversation to making it actionable and measurable. That's when things usually tend to change. So once you've had your conversation and you've worked through, you've chosen your solutions, you've you've got actions to work on, the sixth and the final step is to follow up and have accountability checks. So, you know, people might leave that meeting if it went really well, very pumped up, very excited, you know, feeling very positive about the steps to move forward. And then what can happen is if it's never addressed again, over a period of time, things can fall back to the way they were before, or people forget and and get, you know, kind of get slack or just forget with good intentions because they get busy on other things and things can fall apart again. So it's important to regularly circle back and follow up with that person or with that team and say, hey, how are we doing on this? You know, here's what we agreed to do. How are we doing on those actions? And what are the results? Is this working? How are we feeling? Is this better? Did we resolve the elephant in the room? Is there a new elephant in the room now that we need to think about? You know, or do we need to make some adjustments? And and this is part of that ongoing work that teaming is all about, right? In teaming, we rarely do something and check the box and we're done forever. It's an ongoing, you know, complicated, complex relationship of people. And so we've got to follow up and check in over time to make sure that we really have addressed the elephant and resolved from that issue. Elephants in the wild are glorious and amazing beasts, but elephants in the room are stinky, destructive beasts. But they're only in the room if we don't address the issue. So it's really up to us. The best leaders I know don't hesitate to address the elephant in the room. They know that they've got to be in the right state of mind and be sure that others are too. They know that they've got to determine their timing and their approach on when and how to address the elephant. They know that they've got to acknowledge the elephant head on establish really good intentions and ground rules at the beginning of the conversation, guide that team to work through the problem and come up with solutions, and then follow up later to ensure that that elephant has been resolved. High-performing teams get this, and it's not just the leader who has to address the elephant. On a high-performing team, any member of the team will address it so that it doesn't become this big, huge, stinky elephant in the room. It's just part of the normal conversation. As things happen and there, there are concerns or issues or challenges, they're just surfaced and they're dealt with constructively. Knowing that everyone has good intentions and wants the team to walk away with good results and at the same time, maintaining those excellent relationships. So my challenge to you is to name an elephant in the room with your team right now. It might be with your entire team. It might be an elephant you have with one other team member. But think about an elephant that you're not addressing right now. 
and then determine what are your intentions if you were to have a conversation with this person or this team, what would be your intentions? Start with that. Once you're clear on your intentions, I think you'll automatically be driven to want to move into conversation and go ahead and address that elephant. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. As leaders, it's important that we all keep learning. Visit www.better-teams.com to learn more about the Better Teams model and how you can assess your team. I'd love to hear from you, so please connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website and join Forward, my online community, where you can share, learn, and network with me and other leaders from around the globe. If you want more pragmatic ideas and tips to lead better teams, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. Thank you and have a great day.